Hi, I'm Kyle. And I'm Matt. And we're the Casual Tutors. Today we're going to be talking about the EDH question versus CEDH, kind of where's the line, different topics that kind of fall under that umbrella. With the the increased interest in CEDH, I feel like this topic has been coming up more and more in playgroups, and it's it's kind of a good thing to, I don't think there is a specific line for it, but it's a good discussion to have. Yeah, kind of like everyone leans into rule zero of this kind of topic. Um, you know, it really is something you need to discuss with your play group prior, prior to jumping into any games. But it's also something that should just kind of natively exist within your group. You all know each other. You all know what you're playing. And you should all have a general idea of what's going to be hitting that board. Exactly. And I think now I think the problem is, is when people talk about, like, uh, power levels of decks, they... CDH, I don't think, falls even into that same category. You can have a power level nine casual deck that's not a CDH deck. Right, and even in the realm of CDH, there's different power levels. There's definitely tiers, tier A, B, C, you know, of commanders that, you know, are clearly above the rest of them. And then there's commanders that are there for fun and people are trying to break in different ways, bring in new combos. Stuff like that exists within the CDH realm itself, kind of outside EDH. Right. And I think... That might be a whole different discussion, but right. I well, and I think I think my my favorite explanation of it is casual EDH turns like four, five, and six are when things really start happening. That's those are the important turns. Whereas in CDH, one and two are the important turns. If you're not, if you don't have powerful first or second turns in CDH, you get left behind really quick. Well, consistency is that key, and that's the biggest difference for me for CDH to EDH. You know, you could play the same counter spells, you could play the same rocks, you can do all the same things, but if your deck only draws that god hand one every ten times, it's not a CDH deck. Right. Um, it could be a higher power EDH deck, and that's totally acceptable. Um, I'm, I'm in the realm of even casual games. If they're lasting over an hour, the game's gone on too long, um, and that's probably just speaking where I'm at personally on my own at power level. But, you know, we have limited time for these games, and I want to try to get in as many games with as many people as I can. And sometimes that means I'm going to be playing a powerful deck just to get things done. Right. Well, and I think, I mean, that goes to some of the topics that you and I discussed before where I think EDH in general is becoming more powerful, and I don't know if that's just um, a, a higher interest in the game or if that's because of, reprint sets like modern horizons and double masters where these powerful cards are becoming more available even if they're in a more expensive product they're still available they're still um it's it's not people going out and buying guys cradles and stuff like that you know they're 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 able to get these zero cost artifacts these are zero cost mana rocks they're able to get these turn one uh, creatures like ragavan they're able to get these bombs like dockside extortionist where before, when you only have it printed in a single uh, setting, it was much more difficult to get a hold of. Yeah, and you're definitely going to see that as we start getting into the realm of premier products becoming a more commonplace from Wizards of the Coast. Um, you know, we see it with increased master sets, increased auxiliary sets, more commander decks. All these reprints are definitely going to be driving the metas. Um, you know, just because they're playing JLo turn one, dropping their turn one commander doesn't mean they're going to follow up. Sometimes they just spill their hand out and then they're behind for six or seven turns because they played everything they got in one shot and 
their deck just isn't powerful enough to keep that momentum going. And that's kind of the discussion about fun versus efficient power level versus optimal. You know, you're doing very powerful things, especially with all these reprints hitting us. But, you know, are those powerful things followed up by additional powerful things? Or are you just playing a land and passing, you know? And that's just, that goes into deck building. That goes into where you want to be in the game. Right, right. Well, and that's, I mean, I, th- I think that's a, a really common problem. You know how many times I've sat down at a table and I've seen somebody turn one soul ring into a talisman and then not do anything for four turns. Because you have, you have all this available, available mana and then no gas whatsoever. You just, you know, it's like you said, they just, they just blew it. And I think, you know, that kind of uh, side note here, uh, one of the topics where people like to talk about is, is, is it better to play down a turn one soul ring? And I, I'm of the mind, if you don't have anything to do with it, it might be not, it, it might not be. Yeah, so you see bigger channels and everybody talking about how turn one soul ring has a huge impact on your game. But, you know, kind of like I just mentioned and Kyle talked about, if you don't have anything to follow it up, it doesn't have an impact. Oh, it does, but it's a negative impact. Yeah, definitely. So you you might see that soul ring come back and bite you in the term of everybody targeting you because you have that soul ring. And it just being an immensely powerful and popular card. Everyone knows what it does. Everyone knows what the possibilities are. And, you know, you're an automatic threat, even though you don't have anything on the board besides that soul ring. Right, right. Well, and that's the thing is, yeah, is you're going to seem, if you're at a table and you have to choose whether you're swinging on the guy that has uh, two mana rocks or the guy that just played a land and passed the turn, you're going you're gonna to swing at the guy with the two mana rocks because at least they have something. I, I've seen it so much too. Also, speaking of that, don't have the, uh, oh, they're not doing anything guilt. I've seen so many people win games because everyone was like, well, they're not doing anything the whole game. And so nobody swung on them. Nobody did anything with them. Um, but still, you are more likely to swing at the guy that's doing something, even if it's not really doing anything. Yeah, and definitely. You know, you, you see plenty, oh, I got him down to one. He's, you know, got no board state. There's not much you can do. But you don't know what's in their hands. You can, you know, play Schrodinger and try to guess what's in their hand and what's not in their hand. But guess what? That cat's dead either way. So they could just as easily come back from one and win the game. So, you know, you know, just take people out. There's no remorse in magic. You're there to kill people and win the game. You're, you know, your friends in the end, but in the game, your opponents. And, you know, it sounds kind of ruthless, I guess, coming from a discussion talking about fun versus efficiency in deck building. But, you know, it's a game you want to win, and it's a game you should be pushing yourself to win in. Yeah, yeah. And well, and that, I mean, that takes us back to um, being optimal and using more powerful cards. Is, is, it, is a, it is a game that you're, it is a competition, I guess, in sorts. You are striving to win. Um, now have fun always realize that you could just play another game you know i i see a lot of salty players out there and i i never understand it just just start the next game you know move move on from that game start the next game you're not going to win every single one of them but you should strive to and i think that that mindset is becoming more popular and because of that we're seeing more powerful more optimal decks um and it just get introduced across the board Right, right, yeah. and that's and that's. But I think there's, I think there's a lot of a lot that goes into it. It's the availability of these cards. It's the um, popularity of the game. The thing is, is the more people that we have come into this format um, for EDH and Magic in general, the more combos that are found. The more uh, people that are playing different decks, maybe decks that haven't gotten a whole lot of love. Um, that. You know, all of a sudden blow up in popularity. I've seen it so many times where 
Um, you'll have a random commander or a random legendary creature that's been out for a couple of years that isn't used, hasn't been played, and then all of a sudden blow up out of nowhere. Yeah, well, you know, along with those reprints come new cards. You know, we're seeing, you know, 8 to 12 new commander decks a year, if not more than that. And, you know, all those bring those solid reprints, but all of them bring explosive new cards. Dockside Extortionist, introduced in a pre-con. Didn't exist. Nothing of that power level existed prior to that. Yeah, I mean, we have a, a set of free removal slash counter spells from the uh, Ikoria pre-cons. But there's just as many of those new cards that you look back on and with cards that are printed today will absolutely break those old cards that, you know, were sleepers in the past or just flat out not good because they didn't have the support. Look mm -hmm. at all the tribes that didn't used to really exist because there was three or four cards and now we're pushing 20 to 30. Yeah, and now you got Kavu tribal decks running around. Yeah, all kinds of crazy things. Uh, Five-color Kavu is definitely a real thing. I don't know if it's competitive, but it sounds fun. <laughs> um, and, you know... Kind of just stepping back towards fun and efficient. Uh, we're not out there just saying get good, kid. Um, we understand, you know, each group is different. And, you know, gauging your decks to your group's power level is super important. You know, I think personally, I think everyone should have a seal club deck. It does feel good to go out there and combo off turn three and just annihilate the board every once in a while. That being said, it feels just as good to bring out that battle cruiser and just go in, minimal interaction, you know. And assuming, you know, everyone else is on that same game plan, it can be some fun games. Yeah, um, well, and that's the thing is is have multiple decks. I mean, you know, even if you have to, uh, Matt and I, we, we get a copy of expensive cards, throw them in a little tiny binder, and then proxy a lot of them because we, we get it. It's an expensive hobby. We've already spent so much money on this hobby, you know, but... Yeah, there are ways to spend less and still be able to build new decks. Have decks at different power levels. Understand, you know, you know your play group, so know what know what's going to work, what's not going to work. But you know what? Maybe if you've been looking at kind of crossing that line between CDH, maybe you've been playing a lot of nine tens in your casual pods, and your friends aren't really liking it. Go like pull the trigger, build that full CDH deck, and and just have it on the side. Have it. You will find a pod. I mean, we're in a a tiny little town here, and we still have uh, great nights where we play only CEDH. Yeah, and, you know, this might be a hot take, but I think in today's atmosphere with where Watsi is going with their exclusive products and stuff like that, for me it's just even more of a green light to get those proxies made. Um, I mean, obviously, you know your group. You know what your game stores are comfortable with. You know what's welcome at the kitchen table in your own area. But – you know, as long as you're not going to these giant, you know, official tournaments or whatever to play in the command zones or you're dropping a lot of money to play commander, shit, just, you know, print them out on paper and put them in a sleeve and see how that deck works. There's no point in going out spending a ton of money on a deck that you, you know, you aren't sure you're even going to like, you know, down the road. You know, if it's a, a common deck for you to play and you really enjoy it, start picking up those pieces. You know, one by one, expensive card here, next month expensive card. You know, for a couple coffees a month, you could get into this game um, legit. But, you know, proxies are definitely the gateway drug from EDH, and I think they should be utilized more. Well, and especially for CDH. I mean, that's the, the one beautiful thing about CDH is it is one of the most open and easy to get into formats because of how proxy-friendly it is. They understand. I mean, you're running these decks. Hey, I put together, what, a mock... Uh, Mardu Mad Farm deck, uh, Adnaz deck, that I think the total price after everything was like $8,000 or something like that. I'm not going to spend $8,000 on a single deck that I've 
they might only play once. Like that's insane. So of course you're going to proxy it. And that's, I mean, that's the lovely thing about CDH is it's, it understands that problem and they have completely, I mean, first page, you literally, what is that, that website, the CDH website? Just play CDH. Play CDH. Yeah. The first thing you do, you pull that website up right on the front page. Number one thing about it says proxy friendly. Yep. And I think that's that's common practice in all CDH groups now across the board, different countries, whatever. They expect you because if you slap down Tabernacle, no one's going to expect you to have five grand to drop on one card or whatever it might be. And, you know, paper's cheap, ink's relatively cheap. So, you know, those games like Kyle said, you're playing, you know, a couple of games with a single deck. Don't rush out by those expensive cards unless, you know, you're comfortable enough with where you are financially. Then cool. Yeah, play it. But, you know, Coming back to just regular EDH, I still believe proxies have a lot of value, especially when just, you know, initial deck building gets going, seeing how things work, and just working yourself towards having a a functioning deck. Kind of on that same note, though, there there, there is a level in EDH that proxies aren't appropriate. Um, Speaking of Tabernacles, uh, other super high-value cards, Gaia's Cradles, things that can warp the way the game is going to be played drastically probably don't have a place as a proxy in your casual EDH deck. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, and that's the thing is just keep in mind the difference between uh, a casual table, know your play group, know the power level. Right. I think things like dual lands um, to some extent guys cradle, but that one can kind of get out of hand super quick, but you know, having a consistent mana base, if you know, you feel the need for dual lands, or proxies of dual lands is, I think, totally acceptable. Um, you know, they're not drastically different than putting, you know, buddy lands or battle bond lands in your deck because, you know. Right. Well, I know those battle bond, those battle bond lands are essentially dual lands. You're playing in a four-player EDH pod. It is a dual land. Yeah. It'll always come in untapped. So having that in your deck versus a proxy of a Taiga or a Tundra really is functionally the same thing. So Although those are it. getting pretty expensive now too, aren't they? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know. Proxium. That's all I can say. I yeah. Well, and I even saw, I saw a post today and this made me, um, it was kind of funny thinking about it is it was basically out of the original duels, the shock lands and the fetch lands. You can only pick two to put in your deck. You can either have duels and fetches, fetches and shocks. And I was thinking, honestly, for price wise, I'd probably rather just have the fetches and shocks, not even price wise, price wise. Just playing in your game, um, yeah, because it you know it does add some level of creativity, especially shocklands. It gives you an option there to go in. You know, a decision needs to be made. Am I shocking this in? Am I need to do something on curve immediately after this? Next turn, do I need to have that land available on my upkeep? And if not, you know, you played a tap land, but it's a decision that was introduced in the game. And decisions are good because you know EDH is all about variabilities. You know, it's a singleton format. You're playing, you know, roughly 60 to 70 cards in there that are all unique. And, you know, it's just, you know, variety is the spice of life. And with that comes those decisions that, you know, things like Shocklands bring. Yeah, well, and the the lovely thing about it is there are so many times and so many games where you're going to draw a land and it's going to come in on tap, but you have nothing to do with it. Right. Yeah, it's kind of that whole Soul Ring thing again, you know. Shocklands give you that choice, you know, to either shock it in, get that mana down. But the real question is, what do you follow it up with? You know, turn one soul ring always sounds like a great idea. It's kind of the dream, right? But 
if you're just sitting there with six other cards in your hand that cost more than three mana, what are you, you know, what did that soul ring really get you? Probably a target on your back, like we said. But, you know, again, it's that variety and choices that you get to make. Right, right. And that's, that's I mean, that's the best part of the game, right, is you can, you can have... You can have essentially the same deck, and I'll say the same deck, but really what I mean is the same commander. Is you you and a buddy can build the same deck with the same commander. It's going to play how you play. It's not going to play the same. It's going to be different. It's a it's a hundred card singleton format. It's going to be different every time you play it. There's going to be obvious good cards that you'll probably both have, but everyone has like their pet cards, um, and that's the best. That's I think one of the reasons why this format is so popular is because. You know, if you go sit down at a, a modern tournament and somebody's playing, uh, you know, whatever version of Tron is is the most popular right now, it, those decks are going to look almost identical. And have the same game plans and the same lines. And you're right. That is one thing that distinguishes all EDH formats is that the variability in them. Right. It's you. you I have, I have a, a handful of decks that I've, I've had for a while that I don't take apart. And... Uh, honestly feel like it's a new game, uh, a, a totally new deck every time I play it. You know, sometimes there's there's some similarities. I'll get these two cards, which I had gotten like last game, but a lot of times it's it's completely new cards every time. There's sometimes, I have my uh, my Queen Marchesa deck, my Mardu Queen Marchesa deck. I've played probably hundreds of times. I've had it forever. Um, I put uh, I put Elish Norn in there when the, the Phyrexian script secret layer came out. Um, I have yet to draw her. I've never seen her. Right. Yeah. And I fall into that same <coughs> trap. I carry, <coughs> you know, 30 some odd commander decks with me every time I go down to the local cafe to play. And there's some of those decks that I put together over a year ago that I haven't touched in six months that probably should just take apart, but I never do. Cause there's always that possibility that someone, you know, either a new player might want to try something specific that I might have, or, you know, I just get, you know, crazy hair up my ass and want to play, Something, you know, that I haven't touched in a while. Right. You never know. And that's, I mean, that's the same with some of my pet decks. It's like eight and a half tails. I don't play it that often, but every once in a while, you know, you get that, that itch and you want to pull out one of your older decks, one of the decks that's been around for a while. Yeah. And, you know, tying that back into the CDH discussion, it's the same thing. You know, a lot of these decks, you watch all these channels on YouTube playing CDH. They might keep a deck constructed, you know, for, you know, a month, two months, get a few games in here or there, take it apart and move on to something new. But all of them probably also have their pet decks that, you know, they enjoy playing that they bring out, you know, once a session just to get in with other players, um, get some action out of that deck and really feel what they love about the deck again. Right, right. Well, and that's, and I, I mean, that's everyone too. You know, it's it's even even the really big names in Magic. I mean, look at uh, the Professor. The Professor has had like the same Merfolk modern deck for how long that he's been talking about. Yeah, he's a dog with a bone with that Merfolk deck. Yeah, it's it's every, everyone has their pet decks. Everyone has their favorites, but don't be afraid to also kind of break away from that. Right, and you know, kind of. <laughs> EDH versus CEDH, there's a pseudo taboo in there where, you know, you say you want to play a CEDH deck in a, a public event or down at your local game store, and you definitely get some looks from people like you're out there trying to seal club some kids or in reality, you just want to play a game and you're having that rule zero discussion before you even have a group set up. You're advertising that, you know, you're looking for this fast, high-paced game. 
And, you know, you're just trying to give advance warning, in my opinion, to anybody else. And, you know, locally, we have several people that have tried CEDH with their more tuned up high tier regular EDH decks. And, you know, they have moderate success. They're probably not playing the same level of interaction as a CEDH deck, but they're really out there giving it their best and trying and, you know, just having fun playing commander when it comes down to it. Right, right. Well, and and I've seen even, like you said, mentioning those higher top tier casual decks, I have seen it to where they can come into the CDH scene, but understand uh, if you're going to be doing that, understand that you probably aren't going to win as much as some of the other like um, well-known CDH decks that have been... Just tuned CDH. Yeah, that have been uh, tuned. Um, you know, it's like uh, our, our friend Colton, he has this Yidris uh, Maelstrom Wanderer deck that is incredibly high power level. And it, it he actually beat um, my Sakashima and Quark and your Malcolm because of just a really lucky, had exactly what he needed. We, um, uh, what is that one mana counter spell that just came out in New Capenna? One that gives them the treasure tokens. Oh, uh, an offer you can't refuse. Yeah, we had countered one win condition with an offer you can't refuse, which happened to give him just enough mana to cast the other win condition, and it just worked perfectly, and that can happen. But the thing is, is in, in most cases, I feel like, you know, a a deck that's built to, you know, a, a turn one Quarkashima deck or even um, some of these crazy turn one Kodama Timna decks are a lot of times going to end up being doing better than something like that. You know, have fun with it and and do your research. Um, the other thing that I'd recommend is if you're getting into CDH, if you're new into CDH, go out and find one of those well-known decks. Go build a, a Thrasios File Smasher deck. Go, you know, find a, a, like a Turbo Nas deck. Do these well-known ones that have lots of, videos on them have lots of uh articles written about them learn there don't try to take something you've built from scratch because i feel like that'll discourage a lot of people it's not necessarily that you'll do something wrong in the deck because in the end it's still a creative process for you to go through right but there's tried and true methods there's primers that people have spent several hours working on for different strategies that the deck might have and Flat out, the more eyes you have on it, the better, because they're going to have ideas that you didn't have. Right, right. Yeah, and just kind of taking a step backwards, talking about those more powerful regular EDH decks, you know, not everybody's going to have access or the desire to even make those decks. And, you know, if you find that in your local meta, um, like I said, not pushing the get good kid uh, strategy there, but interaction is incredibly important in EDH. And it's something that I see lacking in a lot of people's decks is that they'll play one or two counter spells. They'll have one removal and they'll have a couple board wipes. But you know, when you have 70 cards to draw on, you're never going to see those reliably when you need them. And that's the most important thing about interaction is reliability. Right. Well, and that's, um, that goes back to like, I, I, a lot of times, especially in casual games, follow, the uh, command zones little template for building decks. And one of the things is, is you want, you want to try to get pretty close to 10 board wipes, 10 uh, targeted removal. And, and like they said, these are, these are going to overlap. So, you know, you're going to have your, your targeted removal. Like my, uh, I, I've been working on a Gishath death 
for like six months now and I'm probably never going to actually put it together. But like a lot of the targeted removal in that are fight spells, which are kind of part of the game plan of the deck. So you're going to have these overlapping sections, but you need to make sure that you're you're not just running a single copy of Wrath of God in the deck. You're not just running a single Anguished Unmaking. You want to have all of these different targeted removals and they can be, um, removal can look different in different ways. I mean, you even... You throw in uh, Liliana of the Veil, who just got reprinted. You throw her into a black deck. Her sacrifice ability, in a sense, I would still count as removal. Yeah, it's definitely a little bit softer because it's on a planeswalker, and sure, not and so they get to choose what to get sacrificed. But just I'm all I'm saying is is um, you can kind of stretch that overlapping. But I guess. My main point with that is if your decks are consistently struggling against other people's decks in your local groups and it's things like they're just super fast on board, got big creatures, got a lot of combo interactions, just pick up that cheap removal. Counterspell is a couple bucks and it's one of the best counterspells in the game. There's lots of different budget options out there that let you interact actively with counterspells, removal, um, destroy creatures. There's even... Instant speed board wipes, there's exile effects. Playing these things in your deck against these people that are, you know, kind of competing at a higher level or just faster or whatever it is will help your deck keep up with theirs. And, you know, it, it is going to annoy them a lot. And there there is some satisfaction in that when you go back week after week and these same decks kind of pub stomp you to go in the next week and just shut them down out of the game entirely. Um and that, you know, stacks plays into that a lot too, but that's a whole different strategy. Well, and that's and that's learn your play group. You know, it's it's if you if you're not if you're playing in in like a lot of creature heavy decks, play those creature heavy board wipes. If you're if you know that you're playing against certain like like maybe cleansing Nova is going to be better because of the ability to get rid of enchantments and artifacts. Maybe something like. <laughs> Throwing in, and they don't even have to be all instants and sorceries. Um, one of my favorite removals is uh, Bane of Progress. It seems a lot of combo pieces are artifacts and enchantments. Throw in a Bane of Progress. Go go grab these these kind of different removals based on your playgroup. I, I, I just took it out actually recently, but for a long time there I was running Containment Priest in Eight and a Half Tales specifically for somebody in our playgroup running Atla Palani. Yeah, and, you know, kind of on top of that, a lot of these newer decks that they're bringing out play a lot of instant speed interaction that a lot of people sleep on because it might not be as good as some of the, you know, more established things that people include in decks. Um, Specifically, I'm thinking of all the modal cards that have been coming out. We're seeing a bunch of different commands that are going to be coming out in Brothers War that are super exciting. But even looking back into the AFR commander decks, Gruul picked up an awesome instant speed board wipe in Cloth's Will, and it's just red, red, X, red, red, green. Choose one. If you control your commander, choose both. Breathe Flame. Cloth's Will deals X damage to each creature without flying or smash relics. Destroy up to X target artifacts and or enchantments. Yeah, perfect. There, it's well, that's I mean, that's the big thing right there. That's why something like Merciless Eviction was so popular, and now it's Farewell, Farewell being able to fit better in more decks. Um, but that that uh, uh, versatility, that being able to choose, what's the other one? Uh, the other white one, Austere Command. All these, these are such good board wipes to include 
because of that versatility because and you might not want to hit your stuff too that's what i always loved about merciless eviction oh if i'm running if i'm running you know um sidri artifacts i'm not going to want to exile all artifacts you know it's better to run merciless eviction and be able to get rid of creatures and planeswalkers rather than touch any of your board whatsoever right these things are out there. They definitely give you some different options in your deck and some variability for different responses you might need. Um, just kind of tying the whole discussion together. Um, you know, I think the line between EDH and CDH is just as blurry as ever um, and just as reliant on your discussions with your group, whether it be you going into your shop specifically looking for a CDH group and putting that forward and kind of having that rule zero discussion before anybody even asks you about it, or it's sitting down at a table and, you know, giving a fair appraisal of your deck saying, you know, this is a seven or this is an eight or flat out. This is a battle cruiser deck. It's probably power four. I'm going to drop my first creature turn six, stuff like that. Um, just giving reasonable expectations is what really helps establish that line with your group. Right. Have those conversations. Have that rule zero. Even if you're not coming in to do a CADH game, even just having EDH games. I mean, I find that having the rule zero conversation really helps even with some of the saltiest players out there. Like just having that conversation beforehand makes it so you don't have to deal with the confrontation later. And we all know those salty players, as much as we'd like to believe we're not going to have any kind of confrontation at the magic table, it will happen eventually. Yeah. And I don't think these discussions have to happen before every game. I think if you sit down with a group and you know, you're comfortable with that pod, having that discussion up front, you know, kind of just tell them what you're looking for in your entire gaming night rather than that one single game and just kind of building towards that. Obviously, if you have multiple decks, things are going to change, but you've seen what everybody else is playing. You know what your decks are capable of and just, you know, self, uh, self-legalizing, or not legalizing, but guiding yourself into those appropriate matchups is good. Um, and then kind of just touching on salt, I don't think there's a single person in the world that could say they've never been salty in a magic game at one point or another. And salt levels vary, but I think everyone's salty at some point. And, you know, just realizing that you're going to get salty at something, guaranteed, and letting that, you know, kind of just go into the next game without any more further buildup or action. And, you know, sometimes you have to stew in your own self salt there for a little bit. And I know Kyle's guilty of it. I'm guilty of it. Um, we kind of pick up off of each other because we're bullies to each other in the games sometimes, but definitely, you know, just moving on past your salt into the new game. Well, I, I mean, that's the biggest thing is it is a game. It's a game. We all play for fun. It's a hobby. We all love. There's always going to be another game. Why, like, I've seen so many people that get so salty that they pick up and they, they just leave. They don't want to play any game. I'm like, what, what's the point of that? This is a game. We want to play the game. Don't get so angry that it ruins the game for you. Just move on to the next game. Yeah. You're not going to win every game, but, but that's okay. I think sometimes picking up and leaving is appropriate, too. If you feel that you're just spiraling down the salt mines out of control, probably removing yourself from the situation. Well, sure. Best. I mean, I just... I. I don't understand how you get that angry. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, everyone's different. Um, we, the last thing we want to see is anybody blow up in your local game store or whatever. Cause you know, if you're that guy that gets up and starts yelling at your group, everyone's going to remember you. Yeah, we do. We, we've seen that happen and we do remember them yep. and we don't play with them anymore. Yeah. And you know, if it takes further discussion, like, Hey, you know, we sat down, we talked about it. Your Yidris deck, 
you know, probably wasn't the seven you told us it was. It did things that, you know, were too consistent, too fast for what we felt was a seven in a, in a response. You know, could you do something different next game? Um, you know, could you just tone it down? Could you play a different deck? Something of that nature. Having the, you know, another rule zero discussion. Like I said, you know, not necessarily every game, but if there's a problem, you don't tell these people there's a problem, they're never going to realize it's happening. Right, right. Talk to people. I mean, we we actually, our, our friend Colton with the Yidra stack, he was a, a, a big problem in our play group because he did not understand that rule zero conversation. He did not understand power levels. He thought that if he made more powerful decks, it would force people to play at his level, not understanding that not everyone has that kind of money. Not everyone's been in the game for that long. Not everyone has the availability and wizards of the coast being wizards of the coast now being hasbro uh, hasbro is very bad at making things available for newer players so you kind of have to work around that a little bit and understand but that's also like we were talking about earlier why we're so uh such big fans of proxies is because we have been around for a while we've been playing for a while we have uh, where we, we have the financial capability to buy nice cards and to have nice uh, cards and stuff like that. And so I don't care if people play with proxies. I want to be able to play my powerful decks. I'd, I'd rather you play proxies, build a powerful deck that you want to play, and let me play my powerful deck. Because right. what, what, what good are all these cards we've spent money on if we can never play them or do anything with them? Yeah, and to an extent, you know, and... It, Bringing up Colton again, Colton is a very good established player. He's often the big bad in some of our constructed Friday Night Magic formats. Um, I know that people definitely get excited when they get a win against him. And, you know, he – I don't know how he feels about it, but I know he knows how good he is at Magic. And I know he feels respected in the community because of that power level he has. And, you know, sometimes – other players that either they just haven't been playing as long or they've never pushed themselves to get that good at magic, just have a hard time against that thing. And, you know, discussions really help. Uh, I know Colton is very comfortable talking with people. Um, I know most of the people in our community are very good about talking with each other, but, you know, just having the discussion, talking about what they want out of the game, talking about what their deck's capable of. Well, and here's the thing too. I mean, it, even if you're not totally comfortable, um, Let's say, let's say you're having a problem with a specific player that you might not be totally comfortable talking to him. I, there's been a lot of times where people have come up to me and talked to me, and then I've gone and talked to Colton or something like that. Not Colton necessarily. Colton's not that bad. Um, but uh, uh, just, you know, look around. There's, there's bound to be somebody that you are comfortable with that probably is more comfortable with that player. These magic groups are pretty tight net, and they, they overlap pretty frequently. So you might not talk to that person directly. Um, but you can usually talk to somebody and be like, you know, not, Hey, this person's a problem, but maybe, Hey, you know, I kind of felt like I wasn't, I was just sitting at a table watching somebody else play a game. I'm not really super comfortable with them, but I'm just, I want to, you know, figure out what was going on and, and most people will help you out. Yeah. And, you know, again, just kind of to summarize everything now that we're we're drawing on the 40-minute mark here, um, you know, CDH versus EDH, the line isn't clear. It's it's where you place it with your group and how you place that with your group. You know, you need to have these discussions kind of to beat a dead horse here because I know everybody talks about Rule Zero. But, you know, just setting, you know, 
the fun level that you have expected expected for your deck or, you know, interactions that you have, you know, share cool combos that are in your deck, you know, give some insight to how you want to play and let others know without, you know, obviously giving away the total game plan, but you know, just discussion with your group is the most important thing. Right. And, and I mean, whether it's regular EDH or CDH, technically it's all casual because it's not a sanctioned format by wizards of the coast. It's, no matter how many commander products they throw at us every single year, it's still not ran by them. It's, it's, I mean, even with the uh, RC and the CAG, it's still up to you as the player to determine what you want to do and what's okay and what that line is because it's, it's such a casual format. Yep. And that's important to remember when you're getting out there and your LGSs. And I, I strongly urge everybody to give their LGSs a shot. I know a lot of bigger towns have multiple options. So, you know, kind of shopping around, picking and choosing what groups, you know, kind of get along with your vibe is an option. Um, Smaller towns like Kyle and I, we're we're fairly limited on what we got. And, you know, we get very clicky with our groups. And, you know, part of that is there isn't that discussion that occurs at some level. Somebody might not enjoy playing with a particular person. Someone might not like a particular play style. And rather than talking about it, they've gone and formed their own clique. They've gone... And, you know, chosen to do tabletop magic at their homes, which is totally okay, too. But, you know, the community involvement is what makes this format so great. And letting that community interaction dwindle because there's a lot of unspoken grudges or whatever it may be, is it's painful for a lot of us that are regulars and love this game. And it's painful for a lot of stores that rely on this support. Yeah, and and the thing is, is it's a lot of fun. It's, it's if you just step out, uh, a little bit out of your comfort zone and maybe have that conversation with some people, you can sit down and end up finding yourself playing against new decks you never thought of. You might play against a similar deck that's not quite the same, but start to see cards you've never seen before. A lot of times you're not going to get that if you're just stuck playing the same three people or same four people you know, at your house every week. And like Matt said, there's nothing wrong with that. And, and we... We do both. We do little commander barbecues, you know, and stuff like that. And then we also go down to our LGS you know, once or twice a week. But it's just, uh, it's a good idea to get out there into that community. It's a very community-driven format. Yep. And it, it can be difficult in a world dominated by introverts. And I think everybody that plays this game is probably introverted to a certain level. And, you know, sometimes it takes a little bit to overcome that, and it's understandable. But at least put yourself out there for the possibility of interaction, whether it's you going out and doing the talking or it's someone coming and talking to you, I promise you it's just as hard for them to come and talk to you as it is for them. And they're taking that step. So the least you can do is at least say hi, tell them about your deck and try out a game. Yeah, for sure. All right. I think, uh, I think that's the time we have for today's episode. Yep. And I'm Matt and I'm Kyle and we're the casual tutors. Have a great one.